The Space God Memoirs. Episode 2. It turns out I didn't get eaten. Five years after that fateful day in the Vulda Enclave, I was once more hunting for relics. The corpse of a city spread out before me, its ancient skyline clear against the ruddy brown mountains to the north. The people of the outlying villages called it Suldra. It was a word that meant old place, creative. In my journeys across the land, I had come across at least four other places called Suldra all named by folks who spent most of their lives caring for their crops or feeding their herds and thus had little time to give places unique names. I stood on the edge of one of the paved roads, cobwebbed with cracks and infested with yellow-green grasses. From there I could see most of Suldra, probably only an average town by the ancient standards. But nowadays it seemed like a city of giants, a city of gods, at least compared to the shabby hovels most modern folks lived in. And maybe today, if I was lucky. I'd find the one hall that would make a difference. That day back in the Vulda Enclave, I found out I was one of the rare folks who could talk to starships. I wasn't sure if that made me a scion, a sorcerer, or just a weirdo, but it was rare enough in those parts that the bug people took a liking to me. A Vulda inventor named Ventic Gavalnor, or Ven as I called him, took me on, along with Rayleigh. The wise old insect put us wasteland kids into his lab and taught us the mystical art of science. It turns out that Ven's main project was to get that derelict spaceship working again, the first of its kind in generations. For that, he needed mechanics, inventors, and ultimately a pilot. But to even get to that stage, we first needed the right parts. Thus, my delve into this blasted city. I followed the road as it led straight into Soldier proper, marked with a post that might have long ago held the town's original name. The outer reaches of the city were utter devastation. A line of metallic husks that must have once been towers would put all modern construction to shame. The remains of other buildings stood too. Stone walls or foundations, also overgrown with vegetation that you could almost mistake them for natural. Up above, green and purple flarns squawked, their lithe, featherless forms gliding between the building frames, startled at my approach. Off to the side, I spied some kind of statue still standing upon its pillar, but so covered in moss that I could hardly tell whether it had depicted an ancient general or some abstract artist's fantasy. I sighed as I glanced over the ruins, but it was not an entirely dissatisfied sigh. Nature had its way of reclaiming these old places, it seemed. Once this site must have brimmed with people, with folks just like me. But once they were no longer present to supply the constant maintenance that society required, it quickly fell back into its original state. Still, hints remained of what had once been here. Between the ground ivy and the lichen, the rows were frequently blackened with antiquated burns. As I approached what must have been an old town square, I saw a few of the old inhabitants too, or rather, their remains. Limp skeletons, as charred as the streets they lay upon. A tinge of coldness crept over me, accompanied by a brief tightening in my gut. I took a deep breath and expelled it, shaking off the feeling. 
I sometimes got this way in the old places. I would have told myself there was nothing to worry about, but that would have made me a real master. Of course there were things to worry about in the old ruins. It was just that worrying about them would be counterproductive. I made sure to keep my attention in the moment as I crept into the square, careful not to stumble over a skeleton or even step on a crunchy weed. You never really knew what was listening in a place like this. Probably because of that, I was surprised to hear a slight cracking sound and feel the road wobbling under my right foot. I paused, then stepped fully back, just in time to see a puff of dust as the ground fell inward with a crash, sucking stone, earth, and bones into a sinkhole just where I had been standing. I remained still, only letting out my breath as I heard the last of the debris careening into the pit that now lay open before me, about wide enough for two people to have fallen in. Eek, I thought as I peeked down, seeing the sinkhole descending down through several stories of ancient basements before vanishing into blackness below. These old ruins could be real shitholes sometimes, but I was still alive, so was Alkino Bino. I put on a wide grin as I continued on my way. Beyond the town square, I followed the line of husked towers along the course of the straight road, which ended in a toppled mass of metal, hoary with rust, where several huge beams had long ago fallen upon at least a dozen cars, completely blocking the road. A few of the towers were still intact and stood looking fragile, groaning morosely with each passing wind, their heights touching the lower reaches of the sky. Upon their weathered walls, vines and creepers sought to reclaim what must have once been a proud sight. The ground here is even more clogged with ancient skeletons, blackened and charred reminders that people had once dwelt here. My eyes were more drawn to bodies of another sort, heaps of metal covered in eons of rust, but with shapes resembling arms and legs and even heads. Those two lay scattered about. I had spotted six of them so far, like enormous man-like statues of iron, the smallest the size of two pack animals, the largest bigger than any house this side of Ganadria, but all lying broken and lifeless on the ground. One of them, about the size of a merchant's wagon, lay with its back against a wall, its head staring up at the sky as if in wonder. I could see its eyes, made of a type of gemstone, which still reflected the sunlight brightly despite the years of ruination. Yes, this was it. Rayleigh insisted that these things would be here, and one with an intact lens, too. These hulks could be found in a number of the old ruins, but seldom intact. Had they been the guardians of the old people? Their police or their servants? It didn't matter. They had what I needed. I hesitated a moment, taking a deep breath before I stepped onto the thing's splayed out legs, then hoisted myself up its chest and in reach of the face. A part of me, which still remembered all those elders' tales of mechanical monsters and god-cursed ruins, wanted to hold back. Still, I shook it off and proceeded to deftly remove both of its gemstone eyes with my shiv. They clicked out easily enough, and with two flicks of my wrist, the gems were in the backpack. I got a chance to put the shiv back into my leg strap and got one foot down onto the ground. It was then that I heard the horrifying sound of metal grinding against metal. I fell backward, landing on my open palms as I saw the hulk rising. It emitted yet another metallic groan as it lifted itself by one steely arm onto its leaden yet unstable feet. The blind thing turned its eyeless head towards me, dislodging centuries of dirt and roots. I wondered briefly if the eyes were its only way of seeing. Then I began to rapidly crab walk backward, 
the cracks of the road digging into my exposed hands. The lumbering old machine took a step towards me, its trunk-like boot clanging upon the ground. I considered just getting up and running, but something told me to delay just a second. At that instant, its equally trunk-sized fist thrust through the air just above me. I backpedaled a few more moments and then jumped to my feet and did run. My heart drummed in my chest as I made a dash across the streets, this time quite noisily, but still doing my best to avoid pitfalls as I dodged around ancient mechanized carts or leapt over piles of bones. Behind me was a heavy clump, clump, clump of the monster's boots and the occasional metallic groan. A flock of flarn fluttered into the air and away. I continued to run, peeking briefly behind me to see the hulk still following, lumbering after me like a gimpy beggar after a meal. I reached the edge of the town square and ran straight through, dodging to the side of that unrecognizable statue and not stopping. The Hulk ran straight behind me, plowing right through the crumbling statuary, barely slowing as stone and cement sprayed through the air behind it. I leapt over another small wall, and now the old high road was in sight. At its base was my cart, already in view. My chest was heavy now, my breath growing labored. I gritted myself and made a final run for it still hearing the tireless behemoth grinding behind me as it tore through the last of the walls. I made a dash across the open grass, back onto a paved road. The cart stood ahead of me, a few meters away. I ran to my right. The thing continued straight, between the cart and a gnarled old tree. I grabbed the side of the tree and rolled downward. The hulk continued on, then came to an abrupt halt as its legs hit the taut rope that was stretched between cart and tree. It fell forward, its rusted midsection striking the heavy stone that lay there, its body groaning one last time as it fell to the earth. The old machine shook once more, then fell limp with a crash, the last of whatever energy that had powered it finally giving way. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Space God Memoirs. Space God is written, performed, and produced by A.M. Arctos. Original musical score by Alpha Colors. Various sound effects created by Industrial Strength Records Incorporated. Please support this podcast by following, rating, and sharing on your favorite social media site. For further info on Space God, its creator, and various other opinions, musings, and thoughts, go to www.spacegodmemoirs.com or follow me on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. If you enjoyed the Space God Memoirs, please consider supporting us by becoming a patron. Check out the Patreon link in our description to learn more.